0: So, morning everyone. Uh, it's good to be here. How are we this morning? One whoop. We'll take that. We'll take it. We'll take a solitary whoop. You might not be whooping in a minute when you find out what the subject is, but uh, there we go. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Martin. Uh, you can normally find me hanging out at the back on the sound desk or in the front row with my wife and kids. who have all disappeared. Oh, there's, there's Deborah's back. Okay. Um, sometimes I have the privilege of bringing God's Word. And uh, when I got the topic for today's sermon, I wasn't convinced that it was such a privilege, but we'll come to that in a minute. But before, before we jump in, let's just have a, a quick reminder about the preaching series that we're in the middle of. So we're in the middle right now of a series called Thrive. How do we, as God's children, thrive here on his earth? You see, God just doesn't want us to exist. Uh, he doesn't just want us to survive. And we've heard story this morning already in testimony of that. He wants us to be able to thrive in all the goodness that he has for us. Now if you are at Big Church a couple of weeks ago, you'd have heard Steve talk about how we set ourselves up to thrive in 2020. And as we study ourselves on the starting block of the new year, a new season with God, we need to set ourselves in the truth that all life belongs to God. And when we're able to get our heads and our hearts in line with that truth, that all life belongs to God, then our job here on earth turns to become one of stewards or stewardship, to steward life. And all that encompasses to the best of our ability. Steve talked about stewarding our legacy, because the measure of life itself is to show that um, show, is shown by what we leave behind. The measure of life itself is shown by what we leave behind, the long view, the long-term view. Um, he also challenged us to think about what we treasure. You see, our legacy, the importance of what we leave, starts with where or what or who we treasure. Who we treasure the most? And he left us to think about two big questions, and I don't know how you've been getting on with these, but um, just a reminder: the first was, what kind of life do we want to live? And the second was, what treasure do we orientate our lives around? What do we value? Then last week, um, David was here, and he talked to us about time, about how it's not a renewable resource. Time is finite. Therefore, you need to spend it on things that are important. If life's finite, you can't get it back, you can't make more of it. So how we spend our time, how we steward our time, really really matters. And it becomes a question really about priorities. What do we prioritise our time on? What do we spend our time doing? That's normally a good indicator of what is most important to us. Now I don't know what you took away from last week, but the thing that has kept coming back to me um, day after day, sometimes reminded by God, sometimes reminded by my wife, that grace is freely given but, there's a but in that sentence. Yes, there is grace and it's freely given to us, but there's a responsibility on us to respond to that grace and make good choices. And it's the choices that we make in the knowledge and presence of grace that are important. Now, if that hasn't got your minds worrying enough, before we get into the topic um, today, I wonder if uh, anyone can tell me, if I have the next slide, the answer to this equation. No, not quite 42. Close. No, well, how about if I give you, I know it's that you can't solve an equation when you don't have any of the values, right? So, I'll give you a couple of values. W on there equals weather. Uh, D equals monthly salary. M, low motivational levels. Any close yet? Okay, well this is actually the genuine equation to work out the most depressing day of the year. Yep, It's the day when the December paychecks well and truly gone, uh, literally gone, Um, but the next month's bills have already arrived. It's when the Christmas and the New Year celebrations are a complete distant memory, um, and maybe the things we promised to do or not to do every day this year haven't been going quite as well as we'd hoped. Motivation is that, a very low point, um, and that need to take action is like this niggle in your mind that keeps saying, "God, I need to do something about that. I need to do something about that." That day, my friends, is the most depressing day of the year. It's known as Blue Monday, and um, you may have guessed this already, but Blue Monday is just around the corner. Blue Monday is tomorrow. So, what better topic to tackle on the eve of Blue Monday than the topic of money? I bet you're so pleased you came to church this morning, right? (laughs) Okay, now I feel at this point I probably need to make a confession. Uh, It's always good to get a confession in early. Um, I actually work for a bank. Now, in fact, I work for the part of a bank that deals with credit cards. Now, I don't want you sitting here this morning thinking that gives me any better knowledge or insight to talk about money than any of you guys. Because it it, it absolutely doesn't. I might know a little bit about debt, um, but I know very little about banking. And uh, just in case you're wondering, in the financial crisis of 2008, I was actually out of the country at the time. So I've got a full alibi and no responsibility for that one. Um, But before we pray this morning, uh, before we start, let's pray. Heavenly Father, loving God. As we gather here today, Lord, to discover more of what you say about money and about your longing for us to thrive here on earth, Lord, I pray that the words I speak this morning will be of you, God. Open our ears, open our hearts to receive your message this morning, Father. And I pray that anything that's not of you would fall away. Lord, on a topic that can be easily divided and divisive, Father, Lord, may you unite us in the truth of your love for us and your promise of provision for the needs we bring to you in prayer. Father, may your Spirit stir us and irritate us in the areas we need to change, and encourage us in the areas we're getting it right in your eyes, Lord. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who paid the ultimate debt for each one of us on the cross, Lord. Amen. Okay, so money. Um, Money is often described as one of the last great taboos in British culture. It's not something we like to talk about that much, it's not normally the first topic of conversation when we meet up with friends. Um, And even in great times of need, there's something about the British culture, um, whether it's pride, maybe something else, that stops us opening up about money, about debt, about poverty or riches. The reality also is that um, my generation, we're the first generation that we can no longer expect to be better off than our parents. Uh, until the financial crash of 2008, that used to be the working principle. So, my parents had an expectation they would be better off than their grandparents. That's, that's not the case anymore. And when I was doing some research on this, there's a great online resource called moneycharity.org and they've been doing research on money and, and statistics in the UK economy for about 15 years now. And um, I looked at their last report from October. And um, it covers lots of things, but here's a few of them. And it doesn't make for great reading, to be honest with you. Um, Especially the first one, because I work for a credit card company. But in in October last year, the total outstanding credit card debt, so this is people owe on um, their credit cards, was £72.4 billion. That is a lot of money. It's a big number. Between March and June last year, a house in England and Wales was repossessed every minute and 40 seconds. Sorry, every one hour and 40 minutes. That was a bit much, wasn't it? There would have been, <laughs> yeah. been no houses left, if that was the case. One hour and 40 minutes. Um, in the month of August, every day in the month of August, 1,283 people reported that they had been made redundant. It's a lot of people. And for those that might have kids, um, the average daily cost for a couple bring up a child from birth to the age of 18, £22.92 a day. Soon adds up. Now, don't get me wrong. The very fact that we live in the UK, in global terms, means we're incredibly, actually, incredibly well off. Um, If you go to the UN, they estimate that still just under nine percent of the global population—that's 660 million people—live in in something they call extreme poverty, and extreme poverty means surviving on less than one pound fifty a day. Now, that number's falling quickly, which is great, as the, as the world and the global economy changes. But I think it's fair to say, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but um, life in the UK, in today's world, can feel expensive. I had the uh, opportunity and the privilege of uh, meeting Deborah for a coffee this week, um, nipped out the office, went to Costa, two medium coffees, six quid. Unbelievable. Life is expensive. Now, I know money isn't the most exciting subject to try and cover, and for some of us, it's going to be tough. It might be that the statistics from the Money Org charity, or moneycharity.org, they're not just statistics. It might be that they're real personal life experiences that have caused real pain, that have caused real heartache. And my hope today is that we can look at what the Bible says about money rather than, than what the world tells us. So it may be we're here today thinking that I just, financially, I just need to get through this next month. I just want to survive this year. At that point, we need to be careful because it's easy for worldly views to creep in. And the worldly views about um, debt can sometimes come to denial, procrastination, just burying our head in the sand, maybe retail therapy. Sure, they, they are options. But the reality is that at some point, issues around finance and money they catch up with us and they need to be addressed. So, what does the Bible say about money? My hope is this morning, as I said, that we can spend some time looking at the Bible and um, the biblical truth that there is a, a better way, a way that pushes past that survival. Um, and when you invest in knowing God and his gracious um, provision, that can replace our own anxiety. And drawing on the infinite resources of God, that can help us, that can enable us and release us to thrive. Now there's there's quite a lot in the uh, Bible actually about money, surprisingly. However, today I just want to focus on just five things. So five biblical truths um, that can help us to put money into perspective. There's not going to be a core Bible passage this morning that we follow through. So if you've got Bibles with you, um, you can follow me as we jump around a little bit. But everything, hopefully, will come up on the, on the screen behind me. So, truth number one. Everything comes from God. Uh, the verse here from uh, Psalm 24 um, is one we keep coming back to on the series and Thrive. I think we've had it every week so far. That the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all, the, all who live in it. That truth is repeated all the way through the Bible. In fact, it starts right at the beginning in Genesis 1:1 where God creates the heavens, he creates the earth, and then he starts to populate it with light and dark, with land, with everything that lives in the sea, everything that lives in the air, and finally he creates us, he creates humans. So everything you see, smell, touch, hear, and taste today, that was created by the Lord, and it belongs to him. Everything we value no matter how big or how small, belongs to him. And just to make it super clear in Haggai 2.8, this is just after the Jewish people had um, returned to Jerusalem um, with the intent or the goal of rebuilding their precious temple. Haggai the prophet, he comes along and he gives um, a little nudge and then a reminder to the people. Um, And this underlines actually what David was talking about priorities last week. You see the Jews having returned to Jerusalem with the objective of rebuilding the temple, Uh, they got distracted. They had other priorities crept in and time slipped by and they weren't doing what what they originally intended to do. So in chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, Haggai says, Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in purses with holes in it. He's basically saying to at the time, get your priorities right. Focus on God first. Finish the table. Uh, the table? The temple. There might have been a table as well, but they needed to do the table with the temple. Um, they're basically saying, honour him, honour God. So that was the nudge, and then the reminder comes, and that's what's on the screen here. And the reminder is that the silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the, the Lord Almighty. Everything belongs to the Lord. It's all his. We're we're just effectively looking after it. We're just stewarding it. We don't own it, really. We're just caretakers. We're caretakers of the gold and the silver. We're caretakers of the money. Now, this is really important. And if you want to explore this concept more through the medium of comedy, I would uh, encourage you to search up J. John Donuts on YouTube. J. John is uh, quite a famous preacher, um, and it's only a four or five-minute clip, but it's quite—it's one of his famous conference speeches. And his conclusion through that um, little bit on YouTube is that God owns all the donuts. Right? You have to watch it to understand what that means. But basically, you can replace donuts with anything, any word you want. God owns it; it's his. And I just thought, actually, with donuts being such a key part of the vineyard culture, uh, I felt I had to mention that really. But watch it this week. Okay, so let's move on to biblical truth number two. Uh, This one may be a bit more controversial because I'm going to say it's okay to have money. I'll say it again, it's okay for Christians to have money. You see, God loves us. He loves each one of us. And he is our ultimate provider. He's going to provide for us. Um, In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about how God provides food for all the birds without them having to sow, without them having to harvest, without having to store up the seeds in barns. And Jesus said, if God provides in that way for the birds, he will provide for us. Because we are more valuable to him in his eyes than the birds. So the verse on the on the screen behind me, this is from 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 6.17, it says, Command those who are rich in this present world. There's an acknowledgement right there that there are going to be rich people. There will be wealthy people who have money. Command those who are rich in this present world. Not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. One thing that God provides us with is money, and it's okay for us to have it. It's okay to be wealthy. God richly provides for us with everything for our enjoyment. It's okay to enjoy wealth. It's okay to enjoy what God has given us. But there is no room for arrogance with it. And there is no room for putting hope in wealth. And we also need to remember that God knows us intimately. He knows us better than we actually know ourselves sometimes. And there might be the case where more money is not what we need in terms of actually his provision. Um, I'm sure some of you may have read some of the stories about national lottery winners who've won big. They've won millions and millions of pounds and they've struggled. They've really struggled. they struggled with the responsibility of their winnings. It's caused stress. It's caused a relationship breakdown, family infighting. In some cases, it's even caused bankruptcy. Money became a burden. It didn't answer all their problems. It only succeeded in creating a whole new heap of problems. More money can mean more problems and more responsibility. It doesn't guarantee that quick fix we sometimes put in it or attach to it. So how do we then stop money or the money that we have being or becoming a problem for us? Um, That's biblical truth number three. So number three, whilst whilst it's okay to have money, it is not okay to value money above God. That's Matthew 6.24. Jesus says in no uncertain terms, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both money and God. Got that the wrong way around. You cannot serve both God and money. When money becomes our master or when money enables us to have things that become our master, maybe that's um, the latest mobile phone or the latest fashion accessory or a new car or a better holiday, whatever it is, when that becomes our focus, when that becomes our greatest joy, when the pursuit of them is greater than our pursuit of God, then Jesus says, quite clearly, we are getting it wrong. And this one's for free. That's not just money, by the way. That is absolutely anything that we crown our master above the Lord our God. Whatever it is we prioritise above that relationship with him it's the same message. You can't serve two masters. Okay, so quick recap then. Everything belongs to God, including money. God is our provider, and money is one of the things that he provides to us. It's okay to have money as long as it doesn't become our master. So what we have, whether it's a lot or a little, how should we go about managing the money that we have? So that's where biblical truth number four comes in. We need to budget. Now, I make another confession here. I love a good spreadsheet. Ask Deborah or the kids. We have one for everything in our house. Mainly made by me, I have to say. Um, The more complex they are, the better and I love doing like little tweaky things that like, what if this scenario happens or what if that scenario happens, how do we create a spreadsheet for that? Now, it gets updated twice a week in our house, you're laughing, it's true. Um, One of the biggest kind of what if scenarios we've had in recent times was um, last year um, when we were trying to work out um, the what if Deborah Um, gave up work, and we went down to a one-family income. Now, at that point, the spreadsheet got several hours of close inspection because we had to work through what we could afford. And just as importantly, we had to work through what we could no longer afford. Um, Having a budget is really, really important. In Luke 14.25, Jesus says, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? Seems sensible. And I'd expand that out as well. It's not just the money to complete it, but it's the, the money, um, the ongoing costs to run and maintain it. I, I remember when I bought my first house. Um, the initial outlay of the, ca- of the house, that was just, just one of the things that um, I had to take into account in terms of affordability. But there were other things as well. Council tax, utilities, insurance, maintenance, white goods, all those kind of things. Furniture, they were all part of the decision making process to try and avoid a situation where there was more month at the end of the money than money at the end of the month. And being honest with ourselves about where our money goes and the choices we make and how we choose to spend it says a lot, just as time does, about what's important to us, about what, what our priorities are. And if you haven't done, recent, haven't done it recently I'd really encourage you to go through your last month's bank statements or your credit card statement or, or anything else you use to record the money that you actually spend and, and, and take a look at where it all goes. Work through it and, and see what it tells you about what's important. And, and I'd say be brave and go, and go deep. Don't just look at the long Tesco's bill and what it says at the end. Look at each line item on there. Don't just think I took 20 quid out of the, uh, the ATM. Look at what you spent that 20 pounds on. Pray about it, ask God if there God are there any areas that might be out of balance? Are there areas of cost that um, you may have ex- um, expected or, or, or were more than you wanted them to be maybe it's the gaps maybe you're not spending things on on things you should do or things that you'd want to I'd encourage you is there anything that God's asking you to consider in that so Next slide, I think, is our um, our next biblical truth, the fifth and final one for now. Um, this is that we're all called to give. Uh, in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 9, verses 7, Paul says, Each of you should give what you have decided to give uh, in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver, not someone who gives out of duty or gives out of some legalistic concept of tithing, but someone who gives out of a cheerful heart in the knowledge that God will multiply and use it for immeasurably more things than we could possibly imagine um, by ourselves. Now I don't need to worry, I'm not going to ask for the offering bowls to come back again and then everyone to put on a massive big smile and dig deep into their purses and wallets and fill it up with a few more quid for for the church budget because honestly that's between you and God. God knows your circumstances and God knows your heart. He knows your current situation, your situation with money and all the ups and downs along the way. And he knows how your money situation makes you feel. And he wants you to know in all of that that he loves you and he sees you and he's with you in it. Okay, so it's, uh, it's time for a quick recap now. So the five biblical truths. Firstly, God's our provider. He's created everything. And he's entitled us to steward it for him here on earth. He loves us and he wants to provide for us. And one of the things he provides for us with is money. It's okay to have money, but it's not okay for money to become our master or be our motivation. Our priority and our master should always be God. And we have a responsibility to manage the money we have and to share it willingly with joy. So, before we finish, then, there's three things I'm keen that we have an opportunity to reflect on and pray about. Maybe over the course of the next few days, pray through it, think about it, maybe do something about it before we meet again next week. And the first one is what do you turn to in times of need? Is money the solution? Is money part of the solution? Maybe if I get a lottery ticket this week, or I put a few quid on the 2:30 at Ascot and it comes in at 25 to one, maybe I just need to work a bit harder. Maybe a few more hours in the office each week, then I can get a new job with a bigger salary or a better bonus. Maybe it's the credit card. If I, you know, I'll worry about it next month. I'll buy it today. I'll worry about it next month, or maybe the month after that, or, or maybe actually there's like this balance transfer thing I can do now, and then I don't have to worry about it for a whole year. In times of need, we can often look to ourselves and the drive to be self-sufficient, forgetting about the promises of God to be our provider and to meet the needs we bring to him in prayer. When we, we strive to be self-sufficient, the consequences can be significant and can be far-ranging. What starts with a, a few bets down the bookies in the search for payout or a big payout, that can lead to a dependency on gambling a few extra hours each week in the office to bring in a bigger paycheck or prove yourself to your boss that you're ready for that next job with a bigger salary that can lead to disconnection in relationships and if you if you have children it can mean missing out on them growing up or maybe not having the time outside of work to do anything else that brings you joy when we when we strive to be selfie um, self-sufficient purely self-sufficient We're ignoring the loving grace of our Father in heaven who promises to provide for us, to listen to our prayers, to listen to our needs. In that moment or season of need, should we not turn to God, recognising that he alone is sufficient, when we invest in him, when we get on our knees to recognise who he is and are embraced by his loving spirit? When we do that, sometimes even our view of what we actually need, what's actually important in our lives, can change dramatically. So I wonder this morning, what's your biggest need right here, right now? Um, Where are you turning this morning to get that need met? Are you striving to be self-sufficient? Or is God sufficient? The second reflection comes down to how we manage the money that we have. Um, Are we intentional about it? Are we proactive? Do we know where our money goes and do we budget well? Do we have a reminder set in the calendar for when our current gas or electricity tariff or car insurance goes up for renewal, or do we just flip onto whatever rate the company or our provider gives us? Because sure as damn it, that will be uh, more than you paid the previous year. Shop around. Do we have a budget? When was the last time we dusted it off and looked at it in detail? What does it tell us? What does God tell us about it? Where are there opportunities to do things better or to do things differently? Where are the spare pennies that can become the spare pounds that can meet the new needs that we may have or pay off some old ones? Maybe the budget's there and it's all in the red and it's actually, it's getting worse. Maybe that's a reality we've not been able to face or we've been ignoring for months now. It's time to seek some help before it gets out of control and the consequences become even bigger are we being proactive and intentional about our approach to money or are we being reactive and passive towards it and then final reflection then what is the state of our financial relationship with our father in heaven do we bring him our first fruits or do we give him what's left over do we honor him with the first of what we have in Exodus 23, the Bible says, bring the choice first fruits of the soil into the house of the Lord our God. And In Proverbs 3 again, honour the Lord from our wealth and from the first of all our produce. Are we doing that? What's our equivalent harvest today? What's our first fruit equivalent? Is it the day we get paid or the day that money comes into our bank? If it is, how are we honouring the Lord with that? Do we intentionally set out to honour him on payday? Or do we wait to see if there's anything left at the end of the month and then the time the next harvest comes round, when the next payday comes? And do we honour him with conviction, with cheerfulness, with the first of what we have? Or do we honour him with reluctance, with a heavy heart, with what's left over? Maybe even we don't honour him at all. See, if your hearts are truly for God... Surely our first fruits should be too. Okay, so those are my three reflections. So I just ask, would you, would you stand with me, if you're able to?